How are your headphones? Are they okay? I'm not really an earbuds person. Maybe one day I will be, but for right now, I'm wearing a pair of Audio-Technica ATH-M50 headphones. I love them. They fit great and snug for the studio or out like I am at the moment on a very windy street in Berlin. They're made by Audio-Technica, as I mentioned, a global but family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, but genuinely affordable products because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. They also sponsor Sponsor Lost and Sound. So wherever you are in the world, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. And welcome to episode 119 of Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hampford. I'm your host. I'm an author, a broadcaster, and a lecturer. And this is the show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about music, creativity, life, the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests have included Peaches, Suzanne Chiani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Cozy Fanny Tutti, Jean-Michel Jarre, Mickey Blanc, and first and more and today we go over to LA to talk improvisation and a little bit of natural wine with my guest Anenon. Meanwhile I'm speaking to you from a very 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 windy Berlin right now. It's a little bit warmer than it has been but it's incredibly windy and this is also the city where as you probably know I wrote a book about coming to Berlin is the name of the book it's available in all good bookshops or via the publisher Velocity Press's website um yes 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 but right now yes you're going to hear a conversation I had a couple of weeks back with Brian Allen Simon better known under the moniker he releases music in as Anenon uh, LA born and based musician that since 2010 has been releasing solo albums, four solo albums and multiple EPs. Um, his, Brian's journey as an artist started off making electronic music, emerging in part out of the hugely influential low-end theory, the experimental weekly hip-hop and electronic music club that ran between 2006 and 2018. It was a place where artists like Flying Lotus, Daedalus, Kamasai Washington and Nosashfing would go test stuff, a real breeding ground. The repercussions uh, of, of the sounds and, and the kind of freedom there are still being felt within in experimental music right now. And, and Brian played a part of that. Um, more recently, he's moved away from electronic and more processed music 
with his releases. And we were here today basically to talk, to connect it together, to talk about an album he put out the end of last year called Moons Melts Milk Lights, which is released on the UK imprint Tonal Union. Um, the album is based around improvisations largely on sax and piano. And also, Brian also runs his own natural wine business. Um, so a lot of this conversation is about improv. Oh, God, it's so windy, isn't it? It's, it's, I hope that's not distorting too much where you're listening to it. Um, and one of the things that I'm not an expert on improv by any means whatsoever, but one of the things that really draws me to the concept of improv is about this kind of essence that when people can do improv well or when something happens where they're able to communicate um, through improv in their music that there's something so immediately that connects to their emotions and their expression um, it's like doing improv you kind of bypass the processes that other music types of music go through like sort of songwriting and and like the kind of layering of production which requires going back and thinking about and readjusting things and obviously you get like you know incredible results with that as well i'm not saying like i only like improv like i like improv but i like all kinds of music but when improv is done well which i think it is done on the latest and then on album which we talk about there is this kind of feeling of direct communication between the artist and the listener and and it's a real thrill god that was definitely very windy isn't it so i'm gonna get in uh get in out of the cold and i'm gonna leave you to listen to this this is a conversation i had a couple of weeks back with brian allen simon aka anenon and this is what happened you're in la currently are you currently yeah like i'm in berlin so it's evening here and it's it's morning in la and you know this is quite an early time for an interview are you a morning person no (laughs) (laughs) not at all i i try to force myself to be somewhat of a morning person i get up and usually go to like a yoga class or something and that that gets me going but but yeah i'm definitely my brain starts to turn on around like 3, 4 p.m., you know? That's where it's like... <laughs> right. And is that that's where you get most of your work done, the creative work done? Yeah, I, I would say... I mean, yeah, yeah. I'd say like probably 75% of it happens kind of like late afternoon. Maybe I'll sort of like chisel or sculpt away in, in, into the night. But like, um, at least with this last record, most of it happened during the daytime, you know? Like afternoon, mm. late afternoon early evening kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And do you feel, um, are you someone that works long hours or, or do you feel like, cause I know with myself, for example, if I'm writing, I perhaps get a peak flow and I can do quite a lot in a short amount of time. And then if I try to work on after that, it's, you know, it, it, it it's kind of dips a bit, you know, but yeah. some people can be really, really consistent for long hours. And, and yeah. how, how are you? Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same. I think when I hit that feeling that's like, okay, you're onto something, this is good. I, I can just keep going and then and I don't even know what time it is at you know at a certain point for sure. That's mm-hmm. usually when the, the best shit happens, I think, is like in that sort of flow state. Yeah. It's like you have to sort of without wanting to sort of sound like macho or anything, the, there's a sort of a, a certain amount of breaking through stuff isn't there? Yeah. Like maybe it's breaking through resistance or something. When it no, for sure. For sure. I mean, a, a lot of the work is like getting to the point where you, 
can break through, where you're able to break through so much of the, because at, at that point, it doesn't even feel like work anymore. You know, you're just, you're doing the thing that you're, you know, you've told yourself you're meant, you're meant to do. And it's just happening. All the other stuff before, that's the work, I think. It's like, mm. you know, sort of just priming yourself or like, you know, getting yourself to a place where you can even recognize that the flow is happening, like these these sorts of things. I, I have a small uh, wine business that I, mm. that I run here in LA. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the wine, actually. Um, so the, that, that kind of runs in parallel with the music, does it? It's It kind of takes the same creative boxes for me mm. uh, but it's also kind of tricky in that i feel like i need to be like very clear-headed to make music mm. on the level that i that i want to be and so wine can get in the way of that. <laughs> but it is sort of it does sort of like you know both things feel like these journeys that you can kind of like go on and, and get very deep into and there's uh i don't know yeah there's just a lot of similarities yeah yeah, and and uh, would you say that there's like a kind of creative similarity between wine and and or at least like how you experience wine and 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 your music? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think both things are sort of like chasing after the the sublime a bit after this sort of like ecstatic state. And I, and I find uh, every you know I end up going to to France a few times a year and visiting winemakers and, and things like this and like. I find these people like more interesting than musicians. Really, I mean, like the level of dedication and just mm. like how deep some of these people are going in, into their their work is 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 astounding and like super inspiring. Um, and they always love me more that once they know I'm a musician too. Mm. I feel like I'm able to like enter into their world in an easier way than a lot of other like people I know who work in the wine industry mm. and a lot of winemakers make music also I've found mm. too. So there's always, there's like always this sort of like a uh, uh, crisscross or, you know, between the two. And does it happen in the other way where you, you have uh, musicians that are kind of really keen in getting hold of your wine? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, too many musicians are broke though. So it's <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> They're not my best clients. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> head to head to the discount store, basically. Get the, the yeah, yeah. 599 bottle. For mm. sure. Sure. I've definitely seen like more and more musicians start to like work in wine too. It's 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 cool. And it's mm. kind of like this small, you know. I mean, like music, underground music has always been there's this sort of like international scene. Mm. Um, but there's definitely there's like a sub scene of like the musicians who are like in the <laughs> in the field too. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I always quite like that about just the, the musical aspect of of underground music and and um where you know it's almost like it's like one city spread out over the world, you know, in, in various locations. And you know, you, you always seem to know someone in in a different city that's kind of connected to someone else you know that you didn't realize. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. And then it kind of multiplies with the with the wine world too. Mm. So you got the best yeah. of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and you recorded part of Moon's Melt Milk Light, which is your last album in France, right? Um, just the field recordings, just the field recordings. Yeah, I yeah, recognize yeah. the French voices. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that specific recording I had done a little solo tenor set at um this kind of auberge like in place mm. that's in the middle of nowhere in 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 the Auvergne in like center of France. And I just forgot, I just forgot to turn the zoom off 
like I had set it up and I literally just forgot to turn it off. And so I had like fucking like hours of, of just people talking in the dining room. And I was just kind of, I was like, I only discovered that like months later when I was kind of going back through the recordings and I heard that I was like, Oh, it's so funny. And I like, cause that's actually, you can hear me laughing on mm. that. And, and I, so I, I just felt that it was like a cool little, like little Easter egg or like nugget to, to put in there. Mm. And I kind of like the way accidents or, um, I don't know if you want to call it an accident or or just like surreptitious <laughs> kind of things. Things can kind of somehow uh, weave their way into music. Um, you know, I mean, the album. I got the impression of like from what I've heard that the album is is, is based around improvisations. And and um, what was the kind of process for you, or what was the sort of goal you had with with doing the album in that way? Yeah, I I think it was just like. I don't want to say I hit like a complete wall, but I just got to a point where I got kind of tired of like this sort of editing process. Cause a lot of my, you know, previous music, I mean, I guess just to take it back, maybe Mm. context, like, you know, the early stuff is very electronic and I'd say, you know, like 80% of the action is happening inside the box, just moving waveforms around and getting really good at that and fast that it starts to feel like Ableton or whatever, you know, DAW is like an instrument mm. unto itself. And then at the same time, I'm, I've, I've, you know, I'm practicing my instruments and I'm trying to become a better player. And so that, that starts to kind of like fold over itself. Whereas like by the time, like the 2016 record petrol 2018 record tongue comes out, it's more me playing, but then I'm still like editing. I'm still taking things. I'm still mm. like, not completely happy with my performances, but trying to like really put myself out there as a performer as well. Um, more so in tongue. Petrol was more involved with other, myself with other players mm. um, and then taking bits and editing and, and rearranging and composing. But I just, I just felt like I needed, I mean, in the pandemic, I had so much time to practice saxophone mm. and bass clarinet. I ended up buying a piano at one point. And so I was, that just became like a daily routine and I wanted to, it wasn't like to prove to myself, but I don't know. It, it was sort of reaction of, of, mm. of just like where, you know, my work had gone previously. And, and I just wanted to do something that felt fresh for me mm. and, and like different. And like, I wanted it to feel alive and raw and not canned whatsoever, you know, and, you know, to a degree, I'm still like on some tracks, I'm, I'm multi-tracking very, very small. Mm small amount of layers but it's still like you know it's not everything is completely live but you know this is the only record i've done where there's there's zero edits on it Mm. so it's you know that was something important to me but i also didn't want it to be so obvious either like i just i I wanted this thing that still felt like my own music um just just stripped down and kind of just brought to like the core of things and and it's not like uh, i don't think i need to keep you know I don't want to make another record like this for mm. now. So it, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just a cool moment in time for me. The thought of doing this again, I'm like, oh, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> What's so terrifying about it? Um, I, it's just very vulnerable, I think, mm. like to make music like this. And, you know, I think the reception has been cool. Like people seem into it, but it's not like, you know, my other records seem to have done better right off the bat. Um and I don't know. I think that says something about people's attention spans or how much time they're just willing to give something. Because I don't think that this record is like obvious 
mm. in the way that points of my others are when I listen back to them. Um, I think you kind of need to dig a little bit deeper into this one to to get to what's going on. But I, I like that. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to cater to to anyone's expectations or, or anything like that. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's the role of where people's creative interests goes necessarily and and um i also sort of think we were saying about being vulnerable as well like did you, did you feel like sort of before there's a sort of element of protection of being able to kind of almost like protect yourself through using layers and using edits to kind of make sure that the version the world sees of what you do is is altered to the way you know you can finesse it to the way people can see it you want people to see it for sure yeah no doubt and and it gets kind of like with electronic music i find it you know personally i find it kind of funny because it gets a little blurry at that point where you could mm. be like oh you know if i'm if i'm like improvising acoustic music but it's within the context of electronic music whatever because i like layered it or like mm. added some texture here and there then i'm sort of like a me like i can i you know it then it's like it's legal to like alter your performance or alter your take and mm. and make it sound exactly how you want it to and i don't there's nothing wrong with that at all um but just specifically for this record i just didn't want to do that and i wanted to see that i could still make something cool and mm. interesting and engaging so yeah i guess in that way it's like a little bit of a, a challenge but yeah it's like you know, with the vulnerability thing. And I, I, you know, when I play live, my best performances always are the ones that feel like I could fail at any moment, like something can go mm. so wrong at any moment. That's what I look for in other people's performances and my own as well. And it, I kind of wanted to bring that energy a little bit to the, to the studio and to the recording process too. Yeah. And, and like, I think also one of the things I also think is really impressive about it that I like about similar records that I can think of that have taken a similar idea of improvising, but then actually having something that has like almost like a, not necessarily like a concept, but like a, a, a kind of a vibe to it rather than necessarily sounding like something what happened one night. It has its sort of, sure. it has a quality of a record, you know, um, sure. yeah. it, it, was that something, you know, like in terms of that, I kind of always relate that to things like atmosphere and, and were there certain like atmospheric sort of structures that you gave yourself to, to put the album together or kind of to kind of create a certain kind of mood? Yeah, I think, I think that's a res the mood that you're talking about. I think that's like a result of two things. Um, one of just initially sort of like setting up the palette of like only piano only tenor, like I play soprano sax too, but no soprano, only tenor and it needs some bottom end. So bass clarinet also, mm. and then field recordings to sort of just like, you know, give it an extra layer of, of atmosphere and, and melancholy or vibe or like whatever. Mm. Uh, and then the other thing is that it didn't, it kind of, the recording process sort of unfolded in like three separate periods mm. of pretty intense like um tuning the world out only focusing on music but but then i took breaks because i did sort of like hit a wall so i was kind of like sitting with a good amount of this material for a few months and like you know i went to london about a year ago exactly just to kind of get the the hell out of la for a second 
and I'd go on these long walks and I, you know, I'd already made about like half the record at that point. So mm-hmm. I'm like walking around London and just listening in my headphones, like constantly and like already sort of like living in the material. Mm-hmm. So it definitely wasn't, you know, I think cool records can happen in like one or one night or two nights. Mm-hmm. And that would be, uh, I mean, I'd be stoked to, to be able to do that. It's <laughs> like, all right, on to the next thing. But, you know, I think I was really like living in this material and like it really got into my bloodstream a bit. And so when it came to the point of like needing to finish it, it's, I sort of just intuitively knew like where, where the atmosphere needed to go, where the sounds needed to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, yeah. I mean, my work gets more and more intuitive. I don't, if I have like too strong of a plan, like it, it never works out. It's, you just have to set up these modes where you can kind of like, where where I can kind of like just follow the lead and, and, and just feel that I know it's going in the, in, a, in the right place. Yeah, I sometimes feel that I I make a lot of notes and I feel like I don't necessarily stick to them, but I find that even just the structure is important for being able to leave it. Right, right, right. Yeah, because then you know exactly sort of like what you're reacting, you know, against or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I mean also as well, like um, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to say it's an LA album. But you know you're an LA-based artist. I hope not. And, no, no, I don't even know what an LA album is. But what what, what does that association mean to you? If it's like the kind of thing of an LA album? No, we don't want to go down that. <laughs> but you grew up in LA, and what was what was kind of your surroundings like? First musical surroundings when you were growing up? Just my father would play a lot of records. He was like a record. He's a hi-fi guy. Like mm. My dad. Um, so he didn't, he didn't play any instruments or anything known in my family or my uncle was like a guitarist. Um, but that's kind of it. There'd be music on all the time though. And like mm-hmm. loud and high quality. <laughs> so like always like high quality pressings on high quality gear. Mm-hmm. And my dad would like trade in his gear, like every other year for the new shit. And so it was always like this, like high new hi-fi setup in, in my in my parents house when i was growing up and but he I, you know his taste in music wasn't like like experimental or like avant-garde mm-hmm. or anything it was like pretty mainstream shit but if we're talking of like you know 60s 70s 80s kind of music um there there would be like cool like some miles davis or like sonny mm-hmm. rollins or the more obvious kind of jazz stuff um mm. so I, I yeah but there's a lot of elvis my dad was like an elvis guy so <laughs> right yeah which i get i guess must have sounded really good through the good good equipment as well yeah it's funny i have a weird i like because it was just on all the time mm. i was like fuck El-, like i was a kid i was like fuck elvis this stuff is fucking whack <laughs> like, like <laughs> i kind of couldn't deal with it I'm a little traumatized by Elvis, but there was definitely like some good, <laughs> good, like, you know, there'd be like some like, like the William Orbit, like Madonna mm. and stuff, like, you uh, know, shit yeah, like that would yeah, be on, yeah. like loud as fuck. And I'd be like, damn, this mm. is kind of sick. Like, <laughs> mm. That's you know? that to me, that is real proper late nineties, that sort of ray of light. There was the the song exactly. from the Austin Powers movie as well. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the song a real disservice by calling it that, but um beautiful stranger i think but yeah and so what what when when you started to was there a point where you kind of felt that music was something that you had your own thing with like you know maybe when it started playing instruments or like an epiphany with just appreciating music yeah well it it kind of i saw it i simultaneously started collecting records on my own and djing 
Mm. And before I played any instrument or anything, and this is when I'm like 16, 17 and uh, DJing would like, I would go and buy like doubles of like hip hop, 12 inches and come mm. up with like routines and shit, like kind of beat junkies style, uh, which was like, you know, LA kind of like early hip hop crew inspired by that. And then I got really heavy into turntablism with some friends who were kind of like, there was this kind of like a small scene, you know, uh, uh, here in LA of kids who would like skateboard mm-hmm. and then started to DJ when they'd be done skateboarding. We just get high and like, just mix records and scratch and shit. Uh, but it wasn't like European techno house DJing at all. It was very like California specific kind of, kind of vibe. Um, I knew nothing of Europe at this time, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I got really into scratching and, and turn turntablism and like really hardcore about it and was like, fuck like acoustic instruments, fuck the guitar, like all these <laughs> other guys suck. Like turntablism is like where it's at. Mm. And, and yeah, I got really like really owned that world for a bit and then got really deep into it. Um, and then it's I mean, uh, you know, ironically, like naturally I come out of that into like then wanting to pick up saxophone, then wanting to pick up piano. Um, because I just got deeper and deeper into digging for like samples mm. to loop or like whatever. Then I was like, well, I could just like play it too. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of lazy. So I always kind of had that complex of like sampling, like, isn't, it's not enough. Mm. You know, I respect like the hip hop greats and and people who are brilliant at sampling, you know, even like nowadays, like burial or, or something like that, like shit is amazing. But for me personally, I I always had this like weird complex of like, it's just not enough to like, even if you're manipulating it and making this brilliant thing out of it, for me personally, it just, it, it got to a point where I was like questioning. I was like, no, no, I need to like, there's something inside of me that needs to come out that isn't coming out through sampling or, or like even sampling myself, you know? So. Mm. And, you know, so, so, and, and then you started, what was the first instrument you started playing? Um, I started to toy around with piano and I mm. took, I was at UCLA at this point. And so I took some like summer kind of like keyboard skills classes, real basic kind of shit, um, scales and chords and stuff like that. And then I ended up, I almost dropped out of college and then ended up declaring there's a music history major there. Mm. And within that, within the music history uh, kind of curriculum, there was two years of theory Mm. that you had to take with the composition and performance majors and so I, I took that and that there was like, you know, dictations, keyboard skills, ear training, things like that. I totally got my ass kicked the first year, but then the second it started to feel like, you know, it was coming together a bit. Um, and around that ta- time, I also, I picked up saxophone as well. Yeah. Mm. And did you feel like, I mean, cause <clears throat> so you didn't, whether you had the musical education, it wasn't like the conventional jazz kind of not at all yeah did you do you feel like for someone who sort of music does play around with like certain jazzy elements and stuff did you feel ever that like that kind of ostracized you from a jazz world or was that something or alternatively was that something that was really good to dig into that you weren't that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i always felt like a bit of an outsider within Mm -hmm. the like capital j jazz world um and I go through periods of my life enjoying that or also being like not in, or also not enjoying that. Mm. Uh, most of the time I try not to think about it too much, but 
you know, I, I think I've just come to accept that, like, at the end of the day, like, I just want to make my own music. Mm. And as a listener, you know, I'm very versed in in jazz and and you know everything really, like a, a lot of genres more so than I would think most jazz people are, you know. And I connect with players who are like that too. Maybe they're better jazz guys than me. I I just never like. I never studied jazz. It's it's always, mm-hmm. you know, I know how to improvise just because I taught myself and that is is incredibly important to the music that I make. But I've always felt like a weird like I felt averse to like getting too deep into mm-hmm. into the jazz vocabulary in a way as if it would like ruin me or something because yeah. it's like codified, you mm-hmm. know. And you when I listen to a lot of these guys it's like you know, they're all so many like jazz guys are such talented players and like are they're insane. But it starts to sound like each is just a it's like a variation on the thing rather than mm. like them sort of like speaking their own language, them like doing their own thing. They're just coming up with these sort of personal interpretations, personal variations on like this more like codified uh language, right? Mm. Um, and then you have guys like Sam Gendel or something that have like gone so deep into this, this sphere, into this world and have come out with their own thing. And those are the types of players like I identify with and, and, um, you know, and Sam and I, I'm the only saxophonist that Sam plays with. Um, and you know, we don't play all the time, but it happens. And Mm. I, 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 I find that cool, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, for me, it's like, I definitely listen to jazz and, and contemporary jazz even now and, and all the, the classics and shit like that. Mm. Um, but I connect with the guys that just sound, you know, like Miles Davis sounds like himself. John Coltrane yeah. sounds mm. like himself. Albert Eiler sounds like himself. All these guys. And it's something switched, you know, when when jazz went into, into academia. And yeah. So in a way, I feel kind of blessed that I didn't really like get pushed into that too early. Yeah, I, I I do feel that that's just a commonality in a lot of things where um you have the you have people that innovate or maybe they're just innovating through just being able to express themselves in a way that is very connected to themselves with a, a, an amazing way of doing it uh, and then people take that as like verbatim as how something should be communicated and and it happens in in you know all walks of life I think you know in, in music like oh, I'm totally. a big fan of like kind of kraut rock bands like Han and I know that they yeah. all had like an incredible kind of Stockhausian classical education but like he was saying about your example I feel like they're like a band that kind of broke through to the other side where suddenly everything became free again you know but doesn't happen that often I think quite often people make the choice between you know um becoming part of an, the academy of whatever that is or being a little bit on the outside really right right i mean i i feel like it even happens with like british electronic music now mm. or like, you know you have so many things that are just like a variation on like shit autecker did in the fucking 90s you know what i mean mm. and and i like that i like i'm down to like listen to that music it sounds cool but and sometimes i even have the like oh i should make something like that but then when i sit down and actually try and do it i'm just like man this is just fucking derivative yeah so it's uh, you know the deeper and deeper i'm getting into this stuff i'm I, i'm just like what's what's the core value like what what's the mm. core thing i'm trying to do here um 
but yeah, no, it, it's, it's funny like that. And you have all these like, you know, guys who sound like burial now, or like, it's, mm. it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, um, and, and, and I think also like, you know, we, you know, round about the time that you were kind of getting into music and all of this, was this about the time of the low end theory as well in, in LA? Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And with, did you have an involvement with that or sort of recollect? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I actually, I interned for Kev who mm. founded Low End Theory uh, years before Low End Theory even started. Um, so I was already kind of connected uh, through that. And then I had started a label that ran for like five years, mm. uh, right? Basically at the onset of Low End Theory kind of just coincided with that too. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up playing low in theory, like three or four times over the years Mm. Uh, and kind of sharing bills with like heavy, heavy guys. Like it it was cool. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know, there was just an energy to low end. Did you ever attend any or just no, like I've never, never been to LA, uh, um, but it was something that I, I kind of became aware of during late in the time and in retrospect and mostly through when some of the artists had started releasing albums that kind of traveled beyond, uh, right, beyond right, Lowen Theory. Right. So it's more like, very much, yeah, yeah. It was very much like, oh, wow, that sounded really cool. I wish I'd experienced <laughs> that. Yeah. There was just, you know, Lowen Theory was in this this place called the airliner which is in lincoln heights kind of like east side east la-ish um and at the time it was like you know that area is becoming more and more gentrified and stuff now but like at the time it was like like there'd be no other reason you know if you're like white and live central or like kind of east, like you wouldn't like go there really mm. other than to like get tacos or something during the day and it was this place yeah and this club was just like i don't know like it was weird to go to this club if it wasn't low end theory mm. happening that night. But if you went during low end theory, there was just such a fucking energy there. This hard, I haven't really felt since or experienced since. Um, people were just fucking excited to be there. Mm. And the sound was insane, just heavy, just like rattling your bones type shit. And to play my own tracks or to like fuck with them and do something live there really like really fucked with my brain chemistry in a good way and the way I hear things, the way I sort of like mix, I think is like, even this acoustic music, it still kind of goes back to that era. I think it was like a huge lesson for a lot of, a lot of guys, like, you know, a lot of artists to, to sort of hear their own music through that system and to mm-hmm. feel the reaction or to hear like your close friends, like tracks that he had sent you like a week previous on that system. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh my God, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was definitely like a, a a deep period and very very like creative time for a lot of a lot of people. I think very yeah, fun. yeah. It, it, I think it's really lucky if you've kind of caught the you know you caught you were part of something or experienced something when it's it was in that kind of moment because that you know the effects go on for years, don't they? And they mutate totally. And, and, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't really think about it too much, but mm. you know when you ask that question i'm like oh yeah wait a second like that was like a pretty like <laughs> major major moment and i you know i was only like i was only like peripherally involved i wasn't mm. say i was like so deep in the thing but i did have the opportunity to play a few times and like every time i would always like when i got the signal from kev like yeah we can get you on this night i would fucking like work you know <laughs> like mm. you know, like it's like the date's like three weeks out four weeks out or whatever i'm like okay i'm fucking like working on this set like right now this yeah, is like you don't fuck that one it was like 
I, I can't think of anything these days <laughs> that like, <laughs> you know, would, would get me that juice to like get in the studio and, and prep. Um, Cause you didn't want to fuck up. Like you didn't, you wanted to like, if you were playing low end theory, like you had to bring it, like there was no other choice. I feel like those scenarios like exist less and less, not to say that I've gone lazier or anything, but <laughs> I don't know. It's just like a different energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what, what would you say the energy is, is there like a kind of a, a sort of a fellow peer scene group in LA at the moment or, or, you know, is it more just international now for you? I'd say it's more international mm. a bit, you know, for better or worse. I think there's pros and cons. Honestly, I'm maybe not the best guy to ask about LA right now. Mm. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know if I'm just like aging myself out <laughs> of the thing or like what's going on, or I'm just more stubborn, probably mm. the latter. <laughs> yeah. I definitely look to like the international scene a little bit more mm. for inspiration or to see, you know, I'd say my peers are are more in that world at this, or, you know, in, in that way at this point. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's things, you know, after low end theory, there was a place called human resources. That was mm. definitely like a big hub, just like an art gallery. That's like mm. had really good music programming and like just energy. I'm mm. just like, I, it's, it's all about energy for me, I think mm. in, in anything. And I'm trying to think of like places that have like, have this kind of like raw flowing freeform energy and everything is just a little like too professionalized these days for me. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, talking about just about like local music or whatever. Mm. Everything is no, like, I feel, I... so curated and like tight and like, you know, that's cool too. But at some, at a certain point you just want to go to some like raw fucking shit, you know? Like, mm. <laughs> it's great to have that feeling of just being totally unprepared for something and kind of getting swept up in it, isn't it? And yeah, and that, you sort of talk about improvisation and and then I sort of think about atmosphere and stuff like that. Do you feel like there's a connection between improvisation and atmosphere when you're when you're making music that you try to kind of grab hold of? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I I can write and read music, but it's so much mm. slower. For me, when I do that, and so improvisation is just this way to sort of like, you know, and it comes back to what what I was saying earlier about breaking through the wall and having mm. the skill to know that this is something worth, you know, pursuing this small musical fragment, this small mm. idea that you've just come up with is worth digging into. And improvisation is this tool where you can kind of just like, you know, keep producing little seeds, little ideas that, that, mm. uh, either kind of hang in the air or they don't. And the ones that hang in the air, that's where you kind of want to start to dive, you know, you want to dive in and mm. into those feelings, into those sounds. And uh, yeah, improvisation for me, it, it's just the tool that allows me to, to, to do that, to sort of set that process in, in motion. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned right at the beginning about yoga as well. Is there a connection as well between like, I don't know, because I sometimes find with like improvisation, we talked about flow state as well. Yeah. And then that you do yoga as well. I mean, I do a little bit of yoga. I have yeah, a cool. class on Fridays that I don't always attend, but, um, and I get into meditation. Go tomorrow, man. Are you going tomorrow? Or... <laughs> um, um, yeah. I, I've, booked, I've, booked it. I've booked my place down, so I have to go. <laughs> um, I, I kind of feel like there is something, you know, that connects things like yoga and maybe improvisation with flow yeah. state uh, and stuff. Do you, do you feel like there's a sort of blending of those practices? For sure. A hundred percent. 
God, I really don't want to go public as a yoga guy, but no worries. We can actually, we can either, I can either edit that or we can just kind of say, yeah, we're not, you know, you know I, I, no, no, I don't care actually. I, I'm uh, just, yeah. I don't, I don't, I just for anyone that's only ever heard me and not seen what I, I don't have a top knot. Yeah, no, 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 no. totally keep it. I'm just joking. But like, <laughs> um, no, yoga is, you know, it's slowly, bec- I've been doing it for like seven years or something mm-hmm. now at this point. And over the past few years has become like, I've become a bit more devout, not mm. into the, like, not into the culture, but into the, it's my own practice of the thing. And, mm. and like you said, like the flow state, you know, in a good, it doesn't happen in every yoga class or every mm. time I practice, but it, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the zone, like, you know, uh, yeah, I'm in a deep, you know, flow state. I'm, I'm in this thing. And I don't even know where I am, but my body's moving, doing all this crazy shit. And <laughs> that really does, the deeper you get into that, you know, for me, especially with the saxophone, uh, you mm. know, the, very connected because the saxophone is, both of these things are all about breath, all about breathing. Mm. Um, and so I try to bring that energy when I play the horn, because otherwise, what am I doing? Like, I try to get into this, this meditative state. Um, and also just the physicality of, you know, being in touch with your body mm. and kind of knowing how your body works and knowing what you're capable of the older and older I get, like the more that's important to like being able to play an instrument instrument well, such as the saxophone, which is such a physical thing to mm. play. Like you really have to put your whole body into the thing. Mm. Um, there's no saxophone is very binary, like a guitar. You can kind of like, all right, like whatever mm-hmm. fuck around with piano too but saxophone is like it's you're either on or you're off there's no mm-hmm. fucking in between and and that's like that could be daunting sometimes and so i think like having a sort of regular physical yoga practice spiritual yoga practice like it, it helps for sure and yeah i think i should mention this the saxophonist mm-hmm. who passed away i forget maybe early 2010s david s ware Right, I, I'm unaware. No, yeah, just a New York guy, uh, mm. kind of post Coltrane era, kind of came into prominence in like the '80s, I'd say, but kept going. Brilliant uh, saxophone player. Um, but yeah, he's he was sort of like a vocal about very being very deep into meditation and, and mm. spirituality. And uh, over the past few years, I've I always enjoyed his music, but then you know, kind of coinciding with my own like yoga practice and stuff like that. I started watching these, these things where he would talk about, not just they're on YouTube or whatever, like he would talk about uh, meditation and spirituality and like how connected it is to playing the saxophone or playing just music, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've, I've found that quite inspiring. And I went into Moon's Melt Milk Light with that pretty fresh in, in, in me of being like, okay, I just want to get into this, this deep zone and make music like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's me, Paul Hampford, talking with Brian Allen Simon, aka Anenon. Um, we had that conversation um, January the 11th, 2024. Thank you so much, uh, Brian, for talking with me there. And thank you so much, Adam at Tonal Union, for, uh, for bringing Brian's work, amazing work, to my attention there. Um, yes, the album. Moon's Melt Milk Light is out now on Tonal Union. Um, yes, 
And I, yeah, I loved having that conversation about the idea of like improvisation and, and the freedom with it. And I did find like a kind of maybe there is another connection point between improvisation and natural wine. This kind of idea of of things straight from the earth or straight from the soul or something like that. Maybe I'm just wittering on in the cold now. Um, but anyway, yes, Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica, a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones. They make the headphones i'm speaking to you right now on they make studio quality yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all so head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff my book coming to berlin is available in all good bookshops or via velocity press the publisher's website fucking hell it's windy isn't it i'm just gonna get in tom giddens did the music hyperlink as usual take care chat to you soon